I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. O come, O come, Emmanuel. I speak to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O come, O come, Emmanuel. We sing it every fourth Sunday of Advent as we will today at the offertory. It is the premier song of Advent, constructed from the O antiphons, those antiphons we sing or say with the Magnificat at evening prayer from December 17th through December 23rd. They capture the ancient names and hopes for the Messiah, Emmanuel, Wisdom, branch of Jesse's tree, key of David, day spring. O come, O come, Emmanuel. It is a plaintive hymn. It is a longing hymn sung in a minor key. It captures our longing, our need for rescue. We cry out, O come, come Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. O come, thou branch of Jesse's tree, free them from Satan's tyranny and give them victory o'er the grave. O come, desire of nations, come, bid thou our sad divisions cease. These cries for help point not only to the ancient names of Christ, but right to our own need. Not just to a people centuries ago longing for a Messiah, but to a people now, us, to our own time, this between time, we who live in the meantime remembering the promise of an innocent infant son of God all those years ago and longing towards the fulfillment of that promise when all shall be made right. This in-between time that we live in is filled with longing for we know, we know that all is not right Despite all our best efforts, despite our successes here and there, we see how often it all goes wrong. We sing each Advent, O come, O come, Emmanuel, because in this season, in this season, we can admit that we need something, someone outside ourselves to save ourselves. But just what is it we need saved from? There is a hole in our hearts, a hole in our spirits. We have made mistakes, those things done and left undone. So much is wrong in our lives, in the world. But in this Advent, in any Advent, we need face not only our own mistakes and sins and those of others, but something larger. In Advent, 
on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we come face to face with hell. Hell, the fourth of those last four things our medieval forebears put at the center of this season. The season when we consider not only the innocent babe in a manger, but the king who will come in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end where all is put right. Hell, the fourth of those four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell that Father Sam and I are preaching on this Advent. Last week, Father Sam preached on heaven, but in order to get there, he took us on a fairly thorough tour of hell. So I don't need to sketch out the details other than to remind us that hell is not a lake of fire of unending torment where sinners go after death. That's a rather new invention, post-biblical. Rather, hell as the great preacher and priest Fleming Rutledge says, hell is a domain, the domain of evil, the sphere where wickedness rules, a place of radical evil that exists independent of, larger than the sum of our own human folly. It's the domain, the power that enables the kind of wickedness that we can't fathom nor make sense of. Open any newspaper, tune into any news program at any time of any day of the week, any week of any year, and it will only be a matter of moments until you know what I'm talking about. Right now, it's a virus raging out of control across our country. It's children in cages at the border some separated forever from parents. It's a rush to execute people on death row. It's forever wars, Afghanistan, Syria. It's new wars, Ethiopia. You get the picture. Some evils are beyond our ability to fathom them. They are evils that come from somewhere else, something beyond us, that is hell. Was it any different in biblical times, in the time of King David, in the time of Mary? Mary, the girl we see today at the Annunciation, the angel Gabriel arriving suddenly, Hail Mary, the Lord is with you. Mary perplexed, pondering as Gabriel unveils the plan of salvation and her part in it. We don't know much about Mary before that visit, what hells she experienced, what she knew of sin and death and evil, though she's human, so I expect that she knew what we know. But we do know about Mary after that visit. I can't help but think about the Mary windows that are being built for our Mary Chapel even now. 
bright glass being cut here in Indy, some of it just sent to Fort Wayne for painting and firing, our merry windows that will show her as queen of heaven at the top, but three incidents from her life below. The first, the scene we have today from the Annunciation. But the next two windows capture the evil she faced, hell, its mouth yawning open as she escaped to Egypt with Joseph and the infant Jesus outrunning Herod's slaughter of the innocents. And then the third window, the Pieta, after watching the crucifixion of the Messiah, her son Mary cradles his lifeless body, anguish disfiguring her face. Mary knew the power of evil and hell. We know the power of evil and hell. Most of the time we can hold it at bay, we can look away or we can distract ourselves. That's harder right now. It's harder than before. Many of you, many of us feel overcome, overwhelmed, suffering unimaginable losses, death and separation from the ones we love, diagnoses that terrify us, fear for our future, fear for our children's future. In the face of the domain of hell, what can we do? What can we do? We who cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. On our own, of course, we can do nothing. When we rely on ourselves, we're like King David today, who in our first reading tells God that he's going to build God a house. Though, of course, we should seek to build up the good. It is not we who build God a house. Rather, God makes two promises to David and to Mary. God does not need a house to be with us. God traveled with God's people in a tent, through the desert, in pastures, with shepherds. God is with a young woman in a town in Galilee called Nazareth, where an angel declares, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The domain of hell, of sin and death, of radical evil swirl about us, and we might be losing hope. But we must never, ever let go of that promise. God is with you. God is with us. And then God promises us a shelter in the storm to build us a house. God pitches a tent among us, not needing any temple that we build, choosing rather to dwell in the temple of Mary's body, joining us in the flesh, 
building a house for us and the person of Jesus, which then becomes a people, a community, the body of Christ, a house not made of cedar or bricks, a shelter that is vulnerable yet is permanent. With her, yes, with her, let it be done unto me according to thy word, Mary aligns with God to build a shelter from the storm for all of us. In many depictions of the Annunciation, Mary is shown reading a book when the angel Gabriel appears, and it will be so in our windows. Recently, though, one of you sent me an image of the Annunciation in which Mary is not reading, but rather she is writing her Magnificat. In her yes, Mary's body and soul blossomed into a mansion for God, a resistance to, a shelter from all the storms of hell. Her soul magnifying the Lord makes all the promises of a world where God, not the powers of hell, prevail. The mighty are cast down, the lowly are lifted up, the hungry are filled with good things. Through Mary, God pierces the maw of hell with a cross. God builds a mansion for himself in the confines of her womb, and Mary gives birth to the one we cry out for, the one to save us from sin and death, save us from the powers of hell, to give us rest forever from our enemies, Emmanuel, God with us. O come, O Lord, 